You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus <laughs> So I have no idea if that's going to cut together, but every day at seven o'clock, um, all of New York sell cheers and bangs pots and pans out their windows for the first responders and for the Whoa. medical community. Um, and so it's seven o'clock. I'm glad we caught that. Is it is seven o'clock every day? Seven o'clock every seven day. There's... Yep. Wow. That is super cool. Yeah. New York coming together. Pretty cool. I love it. Welcome. To guys who like musicals. Welcome to guys who like musicals. So an actor is saying his lines, and then out of nowhere, he just starts singing. Five, six, seven, eight. Jimmy, don't cry for me. Week three from our homes. Week three <sighs> of the Broadway Sounds shutdown. so cool. Week three, Broadway shut down. Week three, quarantine. That's right. Uh, but we are staying strong. We have content for you. We have a really awesome interview this week with Rachel Sussman, Tony Award nominated producer of What the Constitution Means to Me, uh, and my co-producer, uh, co-producing partner on um, The Woodsman. She was an executive producer of The Woodsman, as well as many other things which we get into. Um, she's a native Michigander. We have a great conversation uh, this week. I was up in northern Michigan hibernating, and uh, it just so happens northern Michigan is one of her favorite places in the world. And so we had a fun conversation about all of that. But we'll get into it. Dan, how are you? How are you feeling you know, How's your heart? I'm feeling good. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I haven't talked to you in a couple days. Various states. Of, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, some difficult news of some um people in the Broadway community who are either very sick or have passed and so that that's been a challenge uh definitely. And yeah. it, you know, but you know, again, we're lucky to have a beautiful apartment. We're lucky to have a lot of the things that we have and we're grateful for those things here, Julie and I. Yeah. And um I can see Julie doing just a workout in the background. Trying to stay positive. I've been doing burpees. Oh, you hate burpees. I hate burpees, <laughs> but you know, I've been doing them just because we decided not really to go for walks because there's just too many people in New York for us to yeah. venture out and risk it. And this is such a, basically the, 
the the hot zone now. There's more people in New York right. with the virus than in Wuhan, China. Um, Crazy. So we're just trying to stay safe and protect those around us and ourselves. So we do burpees wild. and we so make we do YouTube burpees. videos. This week I made... <laughs> uh, and we make podcasts. And we make podcasts. This week I did a little like acting analysis based off of the one that we do in Bob Krakauer's film class, actually. Nice. The scene from The Born Identity. Um, yeah. But now the one I'm working on now, which is going to come out on Monday or Tuesday, is like a love letter to acting as a profession. Oh. So I put together a three-minute like almost like an Oscar performance trailer and I'm going to do voiceover yeah. on top of it in a world sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like every yeah. great crying scene you've ever seen in one supercut. <laughs> oh my God. You got to put in, uh, the, the single tear, uh, for Julia Roberts, a girl standing in front of a boy asking. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a good her. one. Julia one Roberts did make this cut. Listen, I, I, that people will give me some shit for that, but that's my, that's my, my favorite rom-com. So Joe loves a rom-com. I mean, loves a rom-com. How have um, you guys been holding up? Dude, we've been okay. Um, we were really, you know, really lucky given everything that's going on. My folks have this cabin in the woods in Northern Michigan and, and we just were walking in the woods. We were walking by lakes. We were taking the dog for walks and drinking coffee and, that was basically it. Um, building fires, chopping wood, <laughs> living my best Ron Swanson dreams. Um, and, uh, and we're spoiled right now. And, and I, I know how, how people are really stuck inside and have nowhere to go, you know, and I know you guys are so grateful for your little outdoor space. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even have that. I don't know what we would be doing if we were in Harlem right now. Um, yep. we would, you know, we have two rooms and that's it. And there's a lot of people who are, are trapped and, we feel you. And, uh, if you're, if it's safe to go outside and you can stay six feet away from people, please do it because it does help and getting some sunshine, but, um, uh, stay safe. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. I think today was really a really hard one to, you know, the news is just crazy with the people who are passing away left and right. But, um, Adam Schlesinger mm-hmm. was the lead singer of fountains of Wayne who wrote uh, the theme song to that thing you do, which is my all time, one of my all time favorite movies. Tom Hanks's um, tweet he, put me out. Oh, just insane. And he had been writing so much for um, for the theater recently, which I didn't yeah. realize he was working on a musical with Sarah Silverman, and tons he, of crazy ex-girlfriend songs. Worked on Crybaby. That's right, Crybaby. Yeah. yeah. Just people, man, stay safe. Yeah, the other know. thing I want to just kind of throw in here on top of this conversation, I know that most of us aren't looking for more talk around kind of what's going on in the world, but it's important for us to... Um, to call attention to some things you can do proactively to kind of help out in this situation. Um, the actors fund is a great place to go. If you have, if you do find yourself in a financial position where you can help out, I know the world is kind of flipping upside down for a lot of people financially. So just do what you can, but there's a donation button right on that actorsfund.org, which can help. The other thing that I wanted to say on here for the record, if you, live outside of New York or if you live in New York and you have a little bit of extra money, consider uh, getting a season ticket subscription to any theater that you can support in your area. 
Um, yes. That money is going to be incredibly important for smaller theaters across the country because this is going to be a de- very difficult time for every single business to weather. And so yeah. uh, it's important uh, if you love the theater to consider those places because the future of the theater really depends on on the small regional theaters and the development yeah. of young talent and of local talent. I couldn't agree more. And it's the lifeblood for those of us who do regional shows. I mean, you know, we've, yeah. you, you and I both and many actors who listen to this, uh, you know, regional theater is how we keep our health insurance, how we, you know, do, you know, a lot of our work comes from these places and they're going to take an unbelievable hit um, getting into the early summer when, you know, as we're already seeing full seasons getting canceled. Yeah, uh, left and right, and that's the only way that they make money is is summer subscribers and summer um, summer theaters. So, you know, if there's one in your your area, they're they're definitely hurting. So, I love that man. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, of course. We're out here, guys who like musicals, trying to trying to keep making some stuff. And uh, and this week, I sat down with with Rachel. I didn't sit down with Rachel. I talked to <laughs> Rachel over Zoom because sure. that's how we're doing this this, this uh, these days. Um, and uh, she is. Uh, I think we're going to call this episode. Um, uh, Rachel is is badass women um, because she kind of and she kind of ended it that way. She is currently uh, working on a musical adaptation of The Suffragists with. Right. Uh, Shayna Taub, and who is it, also it, a badass. It is who is oddest, but also badass woman. And lots of readings of this. This is going to be one of the things to take Broadway by storm. You know, show of our generation. I I cannot wait to see this thing. It's been kicking around for a couple of years in development, and they're they are still slated to have their development show this fall. That mm. has not yet been canceled, and fingers crossed that it doesn't, because a lot of things are getting canceled, obviously. Um, but it is it, it it's got some incredible buzz behind it. Incredible people working on it. Uh, Lee Silverman directing, Jill Furman uh, co executive producing with with Rachel. Um, and it's uh, it's going to be huge. We talk about it a little bit at the very end, but this is going to be, you know, kind of a where were you when uh, cool. when this when the suffragists um, you know comes to town. Uh, we worked together on, on the Woodsman, like I mentioned. Um, she graduated from NYU. She has uh, this incredible um, summer development uh, program for emerging theater artists in Michigan called the Mitten Lab, which is in mm. Bear Lake, which is about uh, half an hour south of where I was with my family, where I grew up uh, going in the summer times and stuff. Um, anyway, we share we share the state of Michigan. We share our love uh, for for theater, and and she got me into producing. And she is the reason that I now have this bug where I want to raise money for shows and I totally I get the same buzz from acting as I do from sitting in the audience being like hey I I helped uh, create this thing even if it was just like you know throwing some money together from some people and helping to pay for the costumes or something like mm-hmm. that I, I certainly didn't didn't raise the the bulk of the capital that was required for the woodsman uh, but it was it was a half a million dollar show and we all had to raise a bunch of money and it was incredible and, um, you know, I'm hoping she calls me again, frankly, I'm hoping that she like, calls me again to raise money because the projects are only getting more awesome. Um, but yeah, so this was a great conversation and anybody who has any interest in producing, one of the things I loved was she talks about how she just wants to make her 16 year old self proud, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very cool thing to be like, you know, Hey, would your 10 year old, 16 year old self be be pleased with, you know, the path you chose. And, um, and I just, I really love that. We got into a whole bunch of cool stuff and, uh, it's a little funky because of zoom and because of the distance and because of all the audio stuff, but it's a really great conversation. Yeah. So have patience uh, with us if there's some hiccups. 
yeah, I tried to just get out of the way and let her do the talking. So cool. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, do you got anything else this week? I just want to, um, I'd like to send some love to Nick Cordero and his family right now. He has a young kid and he's, as yeah. of last night, it was in the ICU. Nick was the original Earl in Waitress on Broadway and he's been in a bunch of shows and it's just, uh, kind of hard. And, um, you know, if you can show him some love or if you're a prayer person, say some prayers and hopefully he's going to be okay. Um, it's a scary yeah. time. Stay safe, wash your hands and, uh, Let's talk yeah. about musicals. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, inspiration, like, you know, videos going around. Um, people are making, uh, and I'm, I'm going to put one up on my Instagram today uh, Today that Tam Mutu helped put together. Um, uh, I, we, You know, everything's going to be okay. Tam was another one of these guys. He was in the hospital with double, double pneumonia. Um, mm. You know, you know, uh, and he, he's doing well now. And he's recovering. But, man, it was just like everybody's really fighting it. So um, stay safe. and. Be, be nice to each other and listen to Rachel Sussman and Joe Carroll talk about musicals. We were 16 up all night. Love and heartbreak was our life. We got drunk and smoked your dad's cigarettes. My Wi-Fi is a little strange because uh, I am, I'm currently in Northern Michigan. <gasps> Where in Northern Michigan? <laughs> uh, my folks have a cabin in Glen Arbor. Uh you know that's my favorite place in the whole world and my artist residency is in Bear Lake. I know. And that is like a perfect segue to um, to the Mitten Lab, uh, which I have always wanted to talk to you about. Um, and I know I know very little about it, except that it's, you know, for, you know, developing playwrights and new works. How did you get involved with that? How did you start that? So um, I, like you, am a... Michigander and a proud Michigander. Um, so when I was growing up, I got involved in a lot of the theater in um, the Metro Detroit area. And I would also go down to Detroit um, to see the touring shows come through um, at the Fisher and the Fox and the Masonic Temple. And I always associated like Detroit with all of these like amazing to me, they were like, that was Broadway because I didn't right. know better. Um, <laughs> and I, I sort of became enamored with, um, the, uh, the, the legacy of theater in Michigan and knowing, you know, Hello Dolly and Fiddler on the Roof had their out of town tryouts in Detroit right. and, and that the Nederlanders, um, sort of started there and, yeah. and many Big of the Nederlanders, you know, Michigan family. Right. And um, when I went away to New York, I went to NYU for college. I um, continued to sort of like be deeply in love with Michigan and especially Northern Michigan, where I spent all of my summers. It's to me, one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. Um, yep. And I, uh, I know while well, you're there right now, um, <laughs> In and our my co-founder and I, <laughs> my co-founder, Catherine M. Carter, and I grew up doing community theater together. She, too, is a born and bred Michigander who went away to New York for school. And we, um, about eight years ago, started having conversations about 
how we wished that there were more artists making things in Michigan and able to sort of take advantage of, you know, what felt like this legacy of all this theater um, that had been created in, in Michigan and during the, um, 2014, 2015, the, the sort of bankruptcy of Detroit, and then the, um, the renaissance that followed, we noticed there was so much creativity happening and um, felt like it was an opportunity to um, try and help create this uh, theatrical landscape as well um, and look to expand sort of what was possible for the, the theater world in Michigan. Um, and it all sort of stemmed from this, this question of like, how are we as like an industry cultivating the next generation of artists? Yeah. Um, and so all these disparate thoughts about like the legacy of Detroit and how much we both loved Northern Michigan and, and just the theater world in general. Um, we were thinking a lot about how, um, there was such an oversaturation in New York of young artists trying to get their work seen. And yeah. the fact that in Michigan, it felt like, you know, there was such an appreciation and encouragement for the arts and not necessarily a lot of new theatrical work being developed. Yeah. Um, so we combined sort of all of that together to create the Mitten Lab, which stands for a Michigan incubator for theater talent emerging now. It, focuses on giving time, space, um, and support in terms of um, a small stipend uh, to early career theater artists. And we're very clear about that and what that means to us on our website, which has nothing to do with age at all and everything to do with sort of where you are in your career. And we did a lot of research into these residency programs that uh, exist that rare and established artists and found there was not really a lot out there to support early career artists. So they were sort of getting yeah. stuck in this pipeline. And we felt like, well, if we can help give them an opportunity that will help, that will propel them to the next stage of their career and allow them to sort of uh, move into being more recognized as artists, that's something that we feel like we can, we can do with this lab. Um, so that's sort of how it was born. And now we've had, so I mean, cool. a number of artists, um, uh, in particular, Kit Yan and Melissa Lee, who were 2018 artists in residence. Um, they just had the um, sort of world premiere production, I think, of one of their new musicals at um, Mixed Blood in uh, Minneapolis. Um, Jacqueline Goldfinger has won like a number of awards. Um, both artists, she was also 20, she was 2017. Um, Monet Hurst Mendoza, who was with us in 2016, is now a writer on Law and Order. Zoe oh. Sarnak won the <laughs> Jonathan Larson grant. So we have like all these extraordinary artists who were with us sort of on the brink of sort of getting that level of, of acclaim and recognition publicly. Wow. And so we really want to help sort of give them that platform to grow. That's so, that's so cool. And I just, I, I think it's also really inspiring because from a selfish perspective, you're like, I want to go hang out in Northern Michigan, you know, like, like it's kind of a, a silly, you know, pick your favorite place on earth and, and make art there, you know, do the thing you're, you want to do for work. Totally. 
we're very um, lucky because it's sort of all the stars aligned and we happened to have um, a, a close sort of family donor who has space um, nice. on 60 acres of land um, for the lab. So that is where we hold the lab and um, we take care of all of the, the meals and um, give those artists sort of like a quote unquote structure to their day. Yeah. But most of it is about them doing their work. And at the end of the week, it all has culminated in a partnership with Interlochen School of the Arts, which is about nice. 20 minutes away. And all of the high school um, drama students participate in a staged readings of the artists and residents work. Um, so we've had between three and four artists and residents, um, playwrights and musical theater writers thus far. Right. And um, it's currently only been a week, but we're looking to expand both how long the lab is, how many sessions we hold and how many artists we can support. That's really cool. That's really remarkable. And like you said, like it's almost the, you, you know, the beginning years of a place like like a Sundance or, uh, you know, or like you worked for Nymph. I mean, these these things where, you know, people are so early in their careers and so early in their process that you're not even going to realize what they do for a while. And you're on you're you're really on the forefront of all of this, which I think is incredibly brave and and must be really, really exciting. Have you found a lot of people that have become like totally addicted and obsessed with the Northern Michigan, like idea, you know, like they go out to, into pair into paradise in the woods and they never want to leave. <laughs> totally. I mean, that's where I, <laughs> I would like to be like all of the time. And so I feel like I talk it, I talked it up so much to folks and we've had, I mean, Zach Zadek who, um, sort of, uh, appointed himself as the president of the Mitten Lab Alumni Association, um, yeah. desperate to sort of like get everyone to come back. But we've, We've really, I think, um, had an opportunity to um, give these artists this experience of not only, yes, the residency, but also yeah. they've fallen in love with this place <laughs> as much as we have. And that's that's part of it for us, too, is we were able to, as you said, bridge our love with like this need that we saw and try and um, fill that gap. Yeah. I always wonder if people who like, you know, showrunners and, and TV writers, if they want to write shows about places, they just want to hang out, you know? So if they're like, oh, we're going to go and do a TV show, uh, you know, we love Austin, Texas. So let's, let's write, write about Austin because that's where we want to hang out, you know? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and I also, am like, listen, if we're going to go and ad administrate this, which like, you know, our job is facilitating the lab right. um we we would love it to be in a place that we would like to spend our time <laughs> oh, totally totally well i just i i love that and uh you know this is where i kind of my, my parents are from grand rapids and when when everything happened with with the covid 19 stuff um we went to we left new york and we were with my family and then i was like you know what i need a couple days in the woods and you know it, it so that's where I've been waiting out the storm a little bit. And I wanted to, you know, also know how you're dealing with all of this right now. Cause I know it's, I know it's crazy. And that you were, you were in Milan when we were first emailing. And so I was like, you know, emailing you basically just to see if you were okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, afterwards, like how, how have you been doing with all of this, all the quarantine stuff? I mean, it's so strange. Um, firstly, I'll say my co-founder is at our residency in Bear Lake. She went up nice. there to sort of self-quarantine um, and, yeah. and be in a space that she knows and loves. Um, I'm in New York. Uh, there's sort of this question of 
should you leave or not leave New York since now it is sort of the epicenter of this right. virus? Uh, I feel very grateful to be in an isolation cell with some of my best friends. So I feel safe. Yeah. I, I don't feel alone. Um, we've kind of created routine together. Um, they also have dogs. So just dogs great for great. Um, morale. <laughs> um, yes. But but I was in Milan at the end of, uh, of February's uh, mid end of February for a fashion show. Yeah, and it looked like you were having zero fun. And yeah, of course. <laughs> and and <laughs> it's, it's interesting to sort of, it was such an incredible experience. And now looking back on it in light of all of this, it's totally in a, it sort of puts a damper on what all of that was, but I'm trying yeah. to continue to hold it as a super positive memory. Right. Um, and I had an incredible time. I uh, got to sort of eat lavish, decadent Italian <laughs> meals and um, see all these gorgeous sights and also see all this incredible Prada fashion. And I touched down on February 21st back in New York. And like that night was when the first case of COVID-19 hit the Lombardi region. And so I... At that point, we weren't taking it that seriously yet in the right. U.S. So I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not there was basically all I was thinking. Not necessarily. I could be incubating. Right. Um, and I, uh, I I, have been okay as far as I know. Um, right. Although at this point, I think if you are in New York, you have probably been exposed and the responsible thing to do is quarantine and practice right. social distancing and everything else. So I started... Um, quarantining up this is my day 15 <laughs> nice nice <laughs> so so we started a little early um yeah. the same day that broadway made its announcement was the day we went into quarantine um yeah, i also yeah. was producing a show at new york theater workshop endlings by slate yeah. song that opened on monday march 9th and played its closing performance on wednesday march 11th i i had tickets um, my buddy Colin and I were going to go and that, that is a really, that's been a really sad thing to see, you know, the, the real repercussions of, of, of these shows that are not the shows that open and close the shows that are not going to open at all, you know? And so I hope that, you know, we'll, we'll, we can get through this and that people can see these, these pieces that, you know, you all worked so hard to develop, you know? Totally. That's the thing is um, working with a couple artists now to figure out how we can, not only share that work with everyone during this time at home, but also, you know, how we can help all those artists who spent years of their life making this art, um, get some closure and um, figure out a way to sort of experience that what was a production of their show and now needs to turn into something else. Totally. Totally. Well, and it also seems just back to what you guys are doing at home, not to be totally stalking on social media, but it looks like with yoga, like yoga has been a savior um, for you. Totally. I'm a huge yogi. My yoga studio is Moto Yoga NYC, which was one of the first, I think, um, yoga studios that started offering free live stream classes, um, which I was so grateful for. And we did them as an isolation cell together and sometimes on our own. And um, it just keeps me sort of uh, practicing mindfulness and presence while also getting a workout, <laughs> which are both important things right now. Um, and I feel very, very lucky for that. 
I love it. I love it. Well, now let's just totally jump to something wildly positive um, and we can get away from that because what one of the things that I, you know, I mentioned that, that we know each other um, because of The Woodsman, um, which was the first time I had ever co-produced anything, the first time I had been, you know, in the producing world and was one of the greatest experiences of my life in New York um, so far. And I know that I've, I've told you that in passing at closing night performances and things, but it's always fun to just reiterate how, what a remarkable experience that was for me and for, um, my co-producer RJ and, and everybody who invested in it. It was just, it was such a eye opening and remarkable experience. And the show I just felt was perfect, um, in every sense. Um, and I want to just go back to, you know, the genesis of that for you, um, because I never really feel like I got to hear that story from your perspective. How did you get in, involved with that and, and, um, you know, meeting James and, and going through that whole process? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to have you and RJ as a part of that show, which I agree was one of the, um, uh, sort of best producing memories of my life thus far. Uh, oh. so I got involved in that show. I saw it in, I saw it in 2014 at 5090's 59. They did their sort of premiere production um, produced by Strange Men and Co. And um, my best friend, uh, who I'm in an isolation cell with, Rachel Brosnahan, her <laughs> husband, Jason Ralph, um, was one of the artistic directors of that company. So we went just as friends of the court to see the show. Um, and my other close friend, who's a producer, um, he and I both really loved it and told Jason, didn't even really know James that well yet and said, listen, just know, you know, Rob, Nanis, Rob and I are looking to produce something together and we're fans of the work you do. So just keep us posted. And within a few weeks, um, strange men and co reached out to us and said, 59 is 59 loves the show so much. They want to bring it back next year. And the they want the run to be six weeks the original run had only been three weeks so they had sort of scraped it together and and figured out how to produce it but now they wanted to bring some real producers on board so um rob and i got involved and sort of did all of the um executive producing as it were um built the budget found the funding um, worked with all of the the team members to premiere to prepare like this new production, and uh, we did it in January of 2015. Um, it sold out. We ended up actually turning a profit, and unheard of. Then <laughs> we had Michael Coco, who was. Um, Yes, <laughs> who was running sort of all of the, the curation and programming for New World Stages, come to see it. And he said, I think this would work great at New World. Are you interested in a commercial off-Broadway transfer? And Rob and I looked at one another, and both of us had been involved in commercial productions before, but never in lead producer capacity. So yeah. we brought on two partners, um, uh, Adam Silverman and Ryan Bogner, and we did the production again in which you and RJ got to be involved as co-producers. And we went from just like to think about scale. We went from this 5090 six week run that cost us about $75,000 in total right. to an open-ended run at 
an off-Broadway theater that was a 199 seat space versus 59, which I think was maybe 99 seats. So it's like uh, yep. already double, double the size. Yep. And, um, and that capitalization was half a million dollars. Yeah. So Rob and I were like, oh, this, it was sort of a lovely, um, I think of it as like a stepping stone because now I'm producing things that are, have ambitions for Broadway and those budgets are even more than half a million dollars. So right. at that point, and I was 25, I think I was 25, 26 when that production was transferring off Broadway. Um, it was just such an incredible learning experience. I felt like I getting to be in the driver's seat and actually make the decisions after being on the side and working for folks who had been those decision makers, I felt like really ready for it. And yeah. also, yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's fair to say, and, and in all transparency, the show ran for six months um, and then it closed. It uh, did not return its investment. But I feel like, and you can let me know, but yeah. most of the co-producers, investors involved really felt strongly that it had been artistically successful for them and a huge passion project. And everyone was still um, really, really thrilled that they got yeah. to be involved and help bring it to life. I could, I could not agree more. And every, every single person who saw it that was on my investment team absolutely loved it. And I think that when it's so interesting going through that experience and, and trying to raise money for something that you know is probably not going to turn a profit. You hope that it is, but I couldn't get behind something and do that much work for something unless I had this real artistic sort of feeling, I guess, is all I could say. And I, I remember saying to all of these people, listen, you might not make your money back, but this show is remarkable. It needs to be seen by people. It needs to be seen by more people than have already seen it. Like, I want to be a part of this. If you can find it in your wallet, this is going to be a remarkable experience. And everybody who came to see it was felt felt that way. They were like, this is something yeah. very special. This is something that I'm so glad I had a little piece, you know, I, I was some part of. And and frankly, in that moment, like I got it. Like I've always loved the idea of producing, but I didn't really know what I was talking about. I just like to kind of make things. And then that show was like, oh, I understand what producing is. It is it is getting things that you love in front of as many people as possible. You know, Absolutely. and yeah, it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable experience. And I think that, you know, some of the, I do, I do, some of the people who invested in it, um, I, I, you know, they'll still make fun of me occasionally and be like, you know, you gotta, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to make their money back at some point. But for now, it's like, <laughs> you know, it, for now, it was just this remarkable show. And I'm so glad that so many people got to see it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think what you've touched on is something that I sort of hold very true um, when I think about my values as a producer. And I mean, realistically, just to say the economics of Off-Broadway are really complicated and very, very hard compared to Broadway. Right. Um, even I, I think that folks have a misconception that, oh, it's on a smaller scale, like I'm not raising as much money, therefore it should be easier for me to make it back. But that right. actually, when you think about what Off-Broadway is in the in the full theatrical landscape, it gets so overshadowed by Broadway shows and right. you're fighting over a very similar demographic at the end of the day. It, it is really a lot harder. And we've yes. seen some shows um, be successful off Broadway in recent years, but you know, 
there are just a couple um, and the Broadway shows themselves only return 20, 25% of uh, reach recoupment. So in considering all of that, we knew it was always a gamble. So I really led with this show. Think of this as a donation to the art form. Your investment is really a donation. You're sharing this show. It's a gift for all of these audiences to get to experience the woodsman, which as a show, for those who don't know, it's, um, it tells the untold story of how the Tin Man lost his heart using uh, violin, Banraku puppetry and movement in very little dialogue. And it's 70 minutes. So it's sort of a unique theatrical experience, not really totally. a play, not really a musical, but it was just so beautifully handcrafted by this company and so full of heart. Um, and I was really, really proud of it. And I have investors to that day who say to me, I am, I'm so grateful I got to be a part of your first production and I can't wait to see what you do next. And right. I am holding on to that. As <laughs> when I you call them and ask them for money again. <laughs> the rest of my slate. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Oh my gosh. But it was amazing. And, and again, I, I've told you once, I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of our lives and careers, but thank you for bringing me into it. And, 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 uh, you know, we, we, we loved every moment of it. Um, and you know, again, just kind of jumping around because I, 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 one of the other most remarkable things I've ever seen, uh, in my recent memory was what the constitution means to me. And, and that is another one that I really just blatantly want to be like, how, how did you get involved? Um, uh, and how did you, you get involved with that team? Because that was, like of of the last year, I think the most important thing that I saw, you know? Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I, I was a co-producer on that show um, and not a lead producer, unlike yeah. the Woodsman. So I was not in a decision-making capacity, but I helped the lead producers to raise money and in return received some benefits, which allowed me to get billing and to say I was Tony nominated. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the show yeah, it's, you know, it's not a bad trade-off. Um, the show um, was never created with the intention of being on Broadway, which I think is part of what makes it so extraordinary. Um, it's based around Heidi Schreck's personal experience as a high school debater and her unabashed love for the U.S. Constitution. Um, and then also sort of thinking about that document today as a 40-something woman, looking back and and understanding now what a complex relationship she has with the Constitution, um, and in particular, the the folks that it leaves out. Um, I saw that the New York Theater Workshop uh, during its run in the fall of 2018, and I very luckily happened to know the three lead producers and um, finagled my way into, <laughs> into being one of the co-producers. They had a very small team and they had a, they really thoughtfully built their team. Um, there, there were a lot of young co-producers. Um, yeah. so they were really trying to give an opportunity to folks and, then the show being as successful as it was, it's returned over 150% of its investment at this point. Um, and the tour is out on the road as well. Um, although not at the moment, it is mm-hmm. on pause. <laughs> but um, I, you know, 
the fact I gave before of these 20% of shows on Broadway yeah. recouping, right. knowing that constitution, this little play that could, for lack of a better term, um, got to be one of those and was a finalist for the Pulitzer and a Tony nominee is a really um, special thing. And I felt like I'm really lucky that I got to to be a part of it. And it really aligns with my my values as a producer and the kind of work I want to make and put out into the world. So to, uh, to have that be my first co-producing Broadway credit really under my own name um, yeah. feels really, really special. It just checked all the boxes, you know, because yes, I mean, exactly. we talk about sometimes there's, you know, art and commerce and, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, they say in the film industry, do one for them and one for you, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. And I knew I didn't know, and I don't think anyone knew it would be as successful as it was on Broadway, but in, in really, you have to think about the life of a, of a show, right? It's right. not just Broadway. Once you've gotten to Broadway and the same with the Woodsman, once you've sort of produced at a commercial level, you as a producer vest in those subsidiary rights and in the future. So I was right. thinking about the audiovisual rights being exploited and all the licensing opportunities. And I felt like there would be money eventually. We just right. didn't know it was going to happen so quickly. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is just, just the best. I, I, did you guys have conversations? Cause after I saw it, the, the first thing I thought was this needs to be seen by as many people as possible. And hopefully the people that need to see it will find a way to see it. Meaning the people who have absolutely no idea that the the constitution is such an exclusionary document um did you guys i'm sure you did and i just wonder what those conversations were like about getting it in front of people in the south people in rural communities you know people who have no idea yeah i mean it's it's interesting because our coming to see a show on broadway you have to self-select right. um the show, actually, the Constitution is a quote-unquote neutral document, um, and Heidi's position on it is um, very much her opinion. So at the end of the show, not as a spoiler, but just to give a little context, you know, you hear this whole, um, you hear all about Heidi's own experience with this document, and then a real-life high school debater comes out, and they debate live on stage in front of the audience, whether we should keep or abolish the constitution. And an audience member uh, at the end of that debate is selected to make that decision on behalf of the entire audience for that evening. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we've had folks come, I mean, it, it really depends on what's happening in the zeitgeist um, and in the political social landscape um, I saw the show in the fall of 18 during the Kavanaugh hearings. Right, right. And then there were all of these conversations about um, uh, abortion coming up again during the Broadway run. And right, um, it right. really depends. And I think, uh, I think that people's sort of opinion uh, sways with what's happening. And people want to be hopeful that this document um, can, can live up to what it was written to do. Um, exactly, yeah. But then there are others who believe, you know, we have the, the, the oldest like living constitution and it was set up to protect the kinds of people who wrote it, which are right. rich white men. Right. Um, and, 
And if we were to write a new one, and this is like all of the debate, you know, who gets to write it? It's probably the same people in power right now. And is it going to be any different? And so like, those are all the questions. Um, I think that everyone feels really excited about the tour because I mean, we played LA, which is another very liberal um, uh, area. And we were in Chicago and now our next stop is Charlotte. So I think everyone is really interested to see what happens when we take the show sort of out of this blue bubble of New York and these other communities and see how people engage with it. Um, to me, the best kind of theater is theater that sparks conversation. That's and right. what the Constitution means to me does just that. Yeah. And and I didn't, it, it is, it really will just like you hit the nail on the head, just spark conversation. I didn't know, you know, like my mom loves to go to the theater. She, she forced my dad to see it. She was like, she was like, listen, I just left this thing and you need to go buy a ticket to it right now. And then we need to have a conversation about it, you know, because it was just like, he, you know, he's not thinking about the constitution the way that, that Heidi is, or that now my mom yeah. is after seeing Heidi's, you know, uh, take on it. It was just remarkable. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited to almost not, I hate reviews, but read reviews from Charlotte, you know, or like <laughs> read blog posts from, you know, smaller communities and, and see what they say. Absolutely. And I mean, we did also record it. So one day it will be available to those who perhaps are, don't have access necessarily to see it, even if it's touring near them because of, you know, barrier to entry of ticket price. So totally. I'm hopeful that more and more people can engage with it and, and spark those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was just so good not to be, I feel like sometimes on our, on our show, we just, we get people on and we just talk about, you know, we're like, that was awesome. Remember that thing you did? That was really great. <laughs> and it's not like probably the best form of interviewing, but um, I just, you know, to get to tell people we like that we like their work um, is kind of the whole point. Um, uh, and the one thing that, you know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know we've, oh, no, you're I, fine. I, just, I appreciate it immensely. And I, I have two more questions that we always ask everybody, but before, before that, I want to just jump all the way back to like the Michigan kid who went to NYU and like, what what were you doing in high school? What were you thinking? What was theater like in high school? And then why in God's name were you like, you know, what was it? What was it about uh, Metro Detroit that made you need, need to go to New York so bad? I guess. Yeah, that's a really good question. I was talking about that the other day with somebody. Um, I got. I was a arts kid from a young age. I grew up in a family that has always really valued the arts. Um, my sister too. We did dance and community theater. I went to the Birmingham Public School District in um, Bloomfield, Birmingham, Michigan. I was very lucky to have an extraordinary theater program. Our um, theater teacher had been named like the arts educator of the year by the governor. Um, And I was very lucky to also... um, get insanely involved. I mean, I was always like a big nerd and I memorized and in my own time, like the Stanley Green show by show books. So I knew like all the dates of when all the important shows came out. Um, and like could talk about why the 1940s were so important for the American musical theater landscape for hours. And I was just like, so passionate about it. And, um, and I, 
really loved, I loved being on stage. And I also learned through my high school program, which was so comprehensive about dramaturgy, which um, is something I now sort of practice as a creative producer, but I got introduced to it as a 17 year old. Um, I did this crazy dramaturgical analysis on Michael Frayn's Copenhagen, which is a play about um, the Werner Eisenberg and Niels Bohr meeting. It's sort of like is a imagines what the meeting would have been. And I, I loved it so much. I was the president of the International Thespian Society. I played Millie my senior year of high school. And then I, I auditioned for colleges. It was like a no brainer to anyone that I would be going to school to study drama. Um, but I sort of pitched to my parents, like, I should go to New York. Here's why. And then I came up with this list of justifications, which to this day, I mean, good on me, but I don't actually think I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I said, I will use all my elective credits to intern. I will start networking early. I'm going to get a head start on everybody else, which is all true and sort of a strange Machiavellian approach. Well, that yeah. I used to. Um, and my parents were like, I mean, you've obviously thought this out. I did a PowerPoint presentation and, um, oh my God. it was just like, they didn't know how to say no to me. Right, <laughs> so right, I, right. At NYU, um, and NYU has this sort of crazy studio system as you probably yep, know. Yep, yep. Uh, so I was in Strasbourg for two years, um, which was so psychological. Um, and, and I, I didn't. I didn't necessarily connect with the technique. And as per my promise to my parents, I was interning every semester. um, And I had an internship um, at second stage, my, the first semester of my sophomore year. um, And I was interning for Chris Burney, who was the associate artistic director. And I was writing coverage, which is, you know, dramaturgical analysis on all these new plays that were coming in. Um, and then I got to be a fly on the wall for a development process of a new play. And during that period, I had this like eureka moment of, Oh, I, I could do that. Like, I really want to help make the thing from the beginning. I don't want to necessarily come in, come into the process later. I want to like help sort of like ask all those important questions and build the creative team and come up with like the timeline and process to get us to production and beyond. And I fell in love with it. And from that moment on, I was like, I'm, I'm going to produce. And I started doing that some concerts at NYU. And I transferred from Strasbourg into the experimental theater wing, which was like the opposite end of the spectrum, where they really gave me the freedom to try all of these different things and really make producing my, my pursuit. Um, So and I graduated and then I started producing and I sort of did already know some things because I had done those internships and met all of those mentors and done the quote unquote networking I spoke of. And, um, I feel very looking back. It's like, I, I don't know quite how I figured it all out. I feel like, um, producing is such a nebulous thing and I teach classes now on it with my company, the business of Broadway um, to try and democratize the knowledge around it because it really is um, withheld and um, producers are sort of seen as this, the top of this hierarchy. And I feel like it's actually much more collaborative than that. And in order yeah. to make our, our uh, creative process more effective, we have to be sharing information more widely. So I'm 
now that I know all of this and mm-hmm. after going through my own journey, I'm trying to uh, give that knowledge to as many people as we can. I just love that. And I, one of my favorite quotes from any play ever is from Passing Strange. Stu says, do you ever wake up, you ever realize the moment when you wake up and realize your whole life uh, is based on a decision made by a teenager? Um, yes. and I'm, I, I love that you, you were a really awesome teenager. It sounds <laughs> so you like knew, like, you know, that's just, that's one, that's an awesome story. And, uh, I mean, I have to say, and this helps me. Um, I think I was like way smarter when I was 16 to 19 than I am now. And yeah. I often make sure like, that's a barometer I use. I think like, what would 16 year old me think of what I'm doing now? And would I make her proud? I I love that so much. And actually, that that was my next question, which is the second to last question of our uh, that I was going to ask is what you know what was your advice for your teenage self be? And I think it's more what is your advice for your current self? It is like yeah. would your sixteen year old self approve of what you're doing? Um, I just love that. Um, do you think Do you think she would? Do you think that she'd be pretty? Do you think sixteen year old Rachel would be? Yeah, I, I, I hope she is. I, I try and make her proud. I, you know, I've learned a lot about how to not ask for permission, what it's like to be a young woman in a position of leadership in this industry, 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 um, and also, you know, how to be kind. I feel like we work in an industry that is like based on human interaction and like the, the, basis of that should be kindness at, at the very least. Um, I do a lot of negotiations. I work with a lot of different people and um, I want, I would love for 16 year old me to know that I was a good person. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, and then the last question that I, that we always ask people is what I, I call it the, uh, our unreachable star question, which is another horrible musical theater reference, but the idea to like, what is, <laughs> yeah, like, like on the horizon at the end, you know, there's, there's so much you've already accomplished and I know that so much you already, you still want to do, but what do you, what's that focus now? What do you see way in the distance? Yeah. I mean, I am, I'm in the development process on a show that um, is basically my heart. Um, I started working on it prior to even the woodsman. Um, And uh, it's an idea I had when I was in middle school that is sort of snowballed and is now um, on its way to having its um, world premiere production in the coming season. Uh, And it's uh, about the American women's suffrage movement, um, which is a history that I am so um, such a nerd about, really. I could talk about it for hours on end. Um, But it's really sort of a case study, I think more so of how social movements are sustained and how you need both this moderate and radical end in order for progress. And it's really trying to explore um, uh, that moment in time, which we're celebrating 100 years, the centennial of the 19th Amendment um, in August. So uh, thinking about in some ways how far away that is and yet how relevant it is um, and that, you know, it's, it's so cyclical. There's always more work to do. And um, I've been working on it with this extraordinary team. Um, Shana Taub is writing it. And I have this amazing producing partner, Jill Furman, and Lee Silverman's directing it. 
and we're we're working with this amazing uh, uh, nonprofit theater, and I just feel it's one of those things to think, wow, like this was an idea I had, and it means so much to me to to now have built this whole tribe around it, and everyone be working towards this common goal of making this show all that we believe it can be. Uh, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I, I didn't actually expect you to, to launch into it. And I'm so happy you did <laughs> because, um, that uh, you know, just a little sneak peek and it's been kicking around for Like you said, I, I didn't realize that you had been working on it since, uh, even before the woodsman. Um, but everybody's so excited about it and, you know, various friends who have been part of different readings and you talking about it. And, you know, every once in a while there'll be some, you know, playbill article. It's like, Ooh, there's a concert that they're doing or something like that. And it's like, Oh my gosh, it's still, it's still happening. It's still happening. It's still happening. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm so excited. I know so many people are so excited. Um, and uh, so give me like We've a, been a, very you... quiet about it. We sort of, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to sort of talk about it in a yeah. loose way, but, um, but yeah, just to say that it is um, sort of my passion project and it's always at the forefront of my mind in terms of like what's next on the horizon. That's, it's just so cool. And it, and it is a remarkable, it's a mark, remarkable history that, that people don't know. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be really fun to see when it all comes together and just, to, just on a, so you started where, so was that 2012 that you started 2012, 13 that you started working on it or we started, I brought the idea to Shana in 2014. Wow. Um, and just as like a precursor. And I hope that more people start learning. There's a lot more available now about the suffrage movement than even when we started working on this than when I had the idea originally when I was a kid. Um, but I brought this to Shana. Um, very few people know this history because the American public school system doesn't really focus on it because men have held the pen of history. Um, that's all shifting now. And we have all those amazing like books for kids about like rad women, um, yeah. which is great, but that wasn't always the case. So um, this history sort of explores um, in particular the internal conflict of Carrie Catt and Alice Paul and Alice Paul um, pioneered civil disobedience in the, in the U S um, she learned from the Pankhursts in Great Britain and um, brought that to the U.S. and um, sort of uh, began that that process of nonviolent direct action being a way that we consider protests today. Um, and Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who I think we all sort of think of when we think of women's suffrage, um, were, were long dead. So yeah. they, they sort of started the fight. It took three generations of women to pass the 19th Amendment. Um, and then Alice Paul wrote the first draft of the ERA in 1923, which, as we all know, has still never been passed. And now we're in like the third wave of feminism and it's intersectional. And um, it's just the whole history of it. You have to look at it um, as as a, a like assault, like a whole is, is greater than some of its parts in some ways. It's really interesting and fascinating and the way class and race play into it and how complex it is. I'm, I mean, I'm a huge nerd. I could like talk about it from a historical perspective for many hours. Um, yes. But all that is to say, it just felt so right for theatrical adaptation. And, um, and that's, maybe that's yeah. all I'll say about it. I, I, the folks that is, 
excited to learn more. That is so. That is so much more than, and frankly, than I I, I thought maybe I was going to get from you. You know, at this particular stage of the game, and I'm so grateful that you you shared that, and I, we can't wait to see it. And I mean, you know, it's it's coming, it's coming, and it's coming fast. Um, so we gotta we gotta get this virus thing under control, and then we uh, and then if we if we do our our dessert is we'll get the suffragists. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to get all the shows um, that we haven't yet seen will be coming back in some way, shape or form and all the new work people. I feel like people are going to be really hungry to go back to the theater and experience live performance again. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I thank you again. Thank you for the woodsman. Thank you for talking to me on my on our show. Thank you for taking time out of your quarantine day. And, uh, this, I, I really, I really love talking to you and, and thank you. Thank you for this. And we look forward to all the things in the future. Thank you. I'm so happy to finally have made this happen and to connect with you. And I know that, uh, we will be staying in touch about all of the things, including the woodsman's future life, which I is available it. on Broadway for those in quarantine looking for something to do. Yes. I'm going to put that, well, I'm going to put that on social media right now. That's an excellent thing. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks for listening to Guys Who Like Musicals. I'm Dan Tracy. That's at Dan underscore Tracy on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Joe Carroll. That's Joe underscore Carroll. M-I-C-H. Because I'm from the state of Michigan and I went to Michigan on Instagram and Twitter. You can reach us at Musical Guys on Twitter or at Guys Who Like Musicals on Instagram. And for the first time, we now have a phone number. You guys can text the guys who like musicals personally. Our number is 203-900-7990. We will eventually make a bad song that has those numbers in it. Two pound seven five three oh nine. But for now, if you have any questions... Or if you want to be uh, involved in the interview process, maybe we'll make an option for you guys to ask questions to our guests as we're interviewing them. We shall see. Be part of our text community and shoot us a text now. Thanks for listening. Woo! We were 16 up all night. Love and heartbreak was our life. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.